Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Won't Back Down with Will Levinson, Jake Lehman, and Sam Potosa. Welcome back to the Won't Back Down podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, we got him. We got him. Woo! Woo! Let's Let's go. It's cathartic. It really is. It felt so good, man. I mean, just... It feels like we've just been constantly getting stuffed in a locker by this Latino folk from Miami named John Ruiz. And you know what? It just feels good. It feels yeah. good to finally get a win. Regardless of you know, whether or not Machado uh, works out here. Hey, he might not even be, start here because who knows, you know, with Lagway coming in. That doesn't matter. That's not the point. Yeah, definitely. It's not the point. It's more of just we, we got a victory. We got a victory over Miami. I don't want to say moral victories happen on the trail, but this is about as good for morale as it gets. We – Lost out to Cormani McLean on them. We talked about this on this podcast. We felt like there was nothing that we could do, but all of a sudden, Hugh Halfcock came out and whipped that huge Halfcock all over the table <laughs> and said, guess what? There is something we can fucking do about it because we are the flagship university of the state of Florida. We have the funding. Numbers have not come out on the offer we put out to Rashada, but I, you have to imagine it's large. I'm just happy. Ear to ear, I'm smiling this morning. It feels good. Huge no, half cock. You're right. I mean, the numbers definitely. I'm sure we could have got off together. I don't think it ever had to be as big as Miami felt. And even even though we came in and, and stole them from Miami, I would be willing to wager that it probably still wasn't as big. And you know why? It didn't need to be because I think. Talk more to Mike. This flip. I mean, again, I think the numbers probably ended up being somewhat comparable. I think that on three report. Remember the 11 and a half to 9? I think that was bullshit. Um, I think everyone knows that. But I think this had all to do with Jaden Rashada smartly looking to his future developing for the NFL. Right. Seeing what the terrible product Miami is putting on the field this season. And really what Cristobal has done to quarterbacks, regardless of where he's been. I mean, Justin Herbert's the number one overall pick if he plays in a better system in college than Oregon. A hundred percent. He was made to look A hundred percent. And before we go any further with this conversation, I just want to let you guys know who's in the room right now. It is a Jake and Sam show today. Big Will Levinson might be calling in a little later in the he show. He is not on this hemisphere right now. He is in Germany for the game in Munich on Sunday. A couple of guys from the CJC went over there to report on the game. Him and the Shim Shady will be in the, in the stadium, Lions Arena, 
on Sunday watching Seahawks versus Buccaneers. Gino didn't write back. Big Will will be there to see it in person. Hopefully we can get him on the show a little later. But back to John Ruiz and the massive colossal loss he took last night. I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, Jaden Rashada looking at his future and seeing where he has the best NFL prospects. I think he looked at the class that he'd be coming in with. Mm-hmm. And I last night, because, look, the whole narrative this entire semester, this entire year, has been that Miami is killing us in the trail. They have a better class than us. But last night after I got back from Black Panther Wakanda Forever at 2 in the morning, which, by the way, fantastic film, very sad. I'd recommend bringing tissues. I looked at the classes. Mm-hmm. Florida has 18 four-stars. Miami has nine. Of Florida's 18 four-stars, they have three receivers ranked in the top 300. Yeah, and... and um, if you are a guy who... Tall guy's calling in. Oh, wow. Can pick it up? Yeah, we can pick it up. If you are a guy trying to make the National Football League, you need receivers that are going to help you do it. Kyle Trask would have never been as prolific if he didn't have that historic Hello? receiving room he had. Oh, wait, we got to put the headphones on. Oh, we got to put the headphones Brain on here. Fart. Also, by the way, apologies if the audio kind of sucks today. Big Will usually does that for us. Me and Lehman are not good with this stuff, so. We're lawyers. We're not yeah, audio. The, the podcast is falling apart without me there. How Hi, tall guy. I miss you. But I uh, miss you guys. Uh, wish you guys were here to experience this. I'm about to enter this little train here. A train, I think. Uh, no, yeah, everybody go to the Everybody go to dinner right now in downtown Munich. It is what a, what a town this is. You know really? what a city, the history, the I mean, the entire place has transformed into the hub of the NFL. So just to be here, and what a great time to be here! It really is awesome. So you're meeting everybody. Cool to do this trip. You very sent cool us the video trip. with Goodell. Everybody. What's up, everybody. Roger? Yeah, yeah. I, dude just dude just showed up on the Good Morning Football set, and I just waved. I just called out his name, walked over, and he comes. Walking over to me, give him, I was expecting a handshake. Put my hand out. So goes with the dap up. Much respect for Roger for the dap up. That was pretty cool. Yeah, He's that, a brother for Bradley Schimmel. That that was an awesome. I, I I enjoyed seeing that. Will we're actually talking Rashada right Dapping now. Dapping Roger. If you have anything you want to chime in on that, if you even know. Okay, it. so I haven't I haven't said anything about Rashada in the Twitter world because it happened at about three a.m. Munich time, and I was fast asleep. But 3 a.m. Try like it's 7 a.m. To Q. No, uh, no, it, oh, it was, it was midnight it was here. Yeah. Okay, so I woke, six, I woke yeah. up. Yeah, it was six a.m. Yeah, so I yeah I woke up, and it was about two hours after it happened. But it it is such a testament to the entire Gator Collective for not giving up and for for going for it. Because look, we were talking about it last week. We were worried about the quarterback position moving forward. And Rashad, sorry, sorry to get loud in the background, but Rashada is the real deal. He's got a big arm, and sure, Zach Cohen may make the argument. We don't know about recruits just yet, and we really don't. But he's a guy that not just us, but Miami as well, put money into in order to go out. And I'm sure there was a ton of money on our side, but I was hearing for a while there was some buzz he was going to come, and I was expecting him to make a move, but. For him to actually do it, for, for, for them to actually get this done, it, it's going to start a domino effect. And you're going to have a situation where there's going to be more Miami guys flip to the Gators. And it, it, it just seems like it happens in waves for Billy, where you get one, and then boom, you get another and a third and a fourth, and you, and you start to build that momentum. And this is the type of thing you need. This was the big move that they needed in order to kind of get the train rolling here 
as the end of the season rolls out. And if they start winning games, I mean, if they they beat SC this week and if they beat Vanderbilt and if they can beat FSU, you finish eight and four, and and that is just so huge. Yeah, for recruiting I, I couldn't agree now more. and in the future. Then you have all the momentum in the world, especially if you win eight and four. You win a bowl game. That's a nine win season. I mean, that's well above what many people projected us at the end of the at the beginning of this season and. Big Will, something I was kind of alluding to before you got on the air was I think Rashada really looked at the two classes that he was considering. And when you look at Florida and Miami's class, I, I said this on the air before, but Miami has nine four-stars. Florida has 18. And of those 18 four-stars, three of them are top 300 receivers. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and, and there was right. some concern about Andy Jean maybe you know being lured to Miami because he's you know, he's from there. Usually a Miami Northwestern kid like him ends up playing for the U. But now I I really don't see that as a concern. Yeah. I think if anything, I think we look to add a receiver. Um, and we can talk about names in a sec. But uh, you know, with Creed Whittemore leaving the class, we got four now. And and see, so I think the board, I think yeah, the board, no, no doubt expands when something like this happens. It does. 100%. Certainly, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't think we're done yet either because Rashada is going to be on campus this weekend for South Carolina. I'm pretty sure recruiting. He is taking, so he has a playoff game tomorrow night in California. Um, he's taking a red eye right after the game, San Francisco to Orlando. I guess. Unless come, you can fly direct come at a better time. I doubt it though. Uh, if you look at the people who will be on campus, just to name a few names, Lucas Simmons, four-star offensive tackle committed to Florida state. Desmond Ricks, one of the top cornerbacks in the class. Class of 2023. If you could get a few of those guys to flip to Florida, I mean, wow. Because yeah. now you have a crown jewel piece. Before, we didn't have that. Our top-ranked recruit before was Kelby Collins, who sat at, I'm pretty sure, 70th in the 247 um, deposit. He's top but, 100, yeah. Dijon, but now you have a crowning piece that can yeah. go out and go recruit other people. Kind of similar to how, I mean, look, I know he didn't stay committed for long, but kind of how Matt Corral went out and recruited Damian Pierce. He helped with I mean, Kyle Pitts is already committed, but he recruited Damian Pierce. He recruited a few others. Richard Garage. Big Will, we're having some a lot of, a lot yeah, it, of audio. Uh... Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they we're on a train here in the middle of the city. But it, I absolutely, the quarterback position, they're, they're the biggest recruiters when you have that in the class. They're the ones that can go out and get the guys, and they're, they're the ones that can get guys to believe. And, and, and I'm just it's just, to me, I'm a judge. I don't love recruiting and, you know, how everything's behind the scenes and we don't know what's going on with money and whatnot, but I'm a big believer in that. What happens on the field affects what these players think. And it is undeniable that what happened last weekend, Miami losing by 40-whatever points to Florida State on their home turf, on their home turf, and Florida going on the road and beating an A&M team that has plenty of five stars was just so huge for recruiting in this state. Yeah, 100%. Um I mean, yeah, we know. I mean, well, we uh, you missed the first couple minutes. We kind of, you're kind of rehashing. Um, yeah, right. Something I want to point out is that Billy now needs to tread lightly because if he finishes the season eight and four, gets us into the top seven for well, I guess we're ranked eighth right now, and Miami's ninth. If we can get into the top seven or six with our recruiting class ranking, watch out, people, because we'll be sipping the Billy Kool Aid all off season, and Billy needs to tread lightly because when we start sipping your Kool Aid, it just builds up all those emotions. That if you fail or if you stumble, you're screwed mm-hmm. with this fan base. It, yeah. it can change. It can change that. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, um anyway, guys, I, I gotta I gotta get going here. Train. I, I just there's a lot going on. We got we just got off the train and we got we're about to head to, head to dinner here, and uh, I don't want to keep you with the bad audio for too long. Schnitzel. But. Right. 
Um, not sure. There's been some interesting stuff on the menu so far. This should have got the duck, plenty of sausage, plenty of pork, gel, gelatin meat, and at every single meal, no water, just beer. Uh, been a, just just an incredible experience, and glad that it's just moving forward. And I can't wait for Sunday. Uh, let's we got uh, Bucks Seahawks. Sorry, I just almost fell into the train here, but Bucks Seahawks, and I'll be there, and it should be awesome. Lots of Seahawks fans here, lots of Bucks fans, lots of NFL fans anywhere. I'm rocking the Tua jersey tonight in Munich as my quarterback MVP. See you guys. Ends up. See you, Will. Ends up. All right, that was yeah. Big Will Levinson giving his Big thoughts on the shattering commitment of Jaden Rashad, the number 47th ranked player in the top 247 composite, coming into the Florida Gators. He is now our top recruit. Mm-hmm. So but anyway, no, I mean, Big Will kind of brought up the Pied Piper thing with, you know, a quarterback leading the class. Stokes has been a good recruiter for us, has he not? He I mean, has. I mean, he, he, he helped with Trayon Webb. Mm-hmm. He helped with... Who, who are some of the other guys he helped get? Castell. He has, especially yeah. in the Jacksonville area. I think he helped get Kearney. Um, but, you know, when you get... I think this one's a bigger recruiting thing, you know, from the football side of things. Because kids see, you know, I, I'm not sure really how much Marcus Stokes really affected, you know, like an Aiden Mizell's decision to commit to Florida, right? Yeah. Because these kids know, okay, the chances that he ends up actually being a multi-year starter here are, I, I don't want to say slim to none, but, you know, questionable. Whereas a Rashada, someone of that caliber, kids can see, okay, like there's a good chance this is who I'm playing with. And I think that helps, you know, um, you know, on the national side. And I think another huge implication of this was Rashada probably looked at the two situations. Like I already said, he probably looked at the recruiting class, but he probably looked at the Miami QB room. He sees a couple of highly highly touted recruits: Jake Garcia, Jacurry, what's it, Jacurry Brown or Jacurry Robinson? Jacurry Brown, Jacurry Brown. <laughs> Brown, even TBD. And they're regressing. No one is getting better under Mario and Gaddis. If anything, they're struggling, and you can see a few of them transfer. Whereas he looks at the Florida QB room, Anthony has gotten better as the season's gone on. Mm-hmm. He is, in all likelihood, going to be a first-round pick either this year or next year. It'll be interesting. It'll be I interesting. Think to first see. round but this year, I think if you want to push for top 10, he comes back. So we'll see. I think, in all likelihood, he's going to be a first-rounder one day. Right. He probably looked at that and said, there's going to be an opening for me to play right away. I'm going to have good receivers. I'm going to have good support. And as of right now, momentum's on Florida's side, and it's not on Miami's side, which is really disappointing considering what Miami returned this year and the recruiting class going into the season. Mm -hmm. They had so much momentum, and it's just halted. Recruiting can only get you so far. And let's not, you know, count Mario out yet as having a chance to have success there. I mean, for Christ's sake, you know, we're five and four and we look pretty bad at points this season. So you do need to get your players in, but you know, you can only out recruit, you know, poor in game coaching and questionable, you know, quarterback management. I, I certainly agree. And so there's just certain things like, you know, the penalties, the turnovers, those kind of things, like you can tell in year one, even when it's not your players. So now I want you to put your Swami hat on and I kind of want to look ahead to December and February and kind of project where we think we'll end up. There's a few of our big targets who have yet to commit. Keon Keeley being one of them. I think it's kind of a crapshoot that we'll get him. But Probably Bama. Quay Rousseau is one of them as well. And another huge Florida target who's still committed to Miami, Francis. I, I, I don't even want to 
botched the pronunciation of his last name, but the mm, offensive Maui tackle. Ma- Maui Goa. I think. He was once considered a Florida lean. Right. Do you have a shot at him? I don't know. Um, so we have, what, 23 commits now? I think the important thing about what people need to realize, and, you know, again, Billy being so, you know, process-oriented, is that I think given that, you know, we didn't have the bottom fallout under us this season, like, you know, I don't know if we go 8-4. and four, I think there's 7-5 and five is probably the most realistic at this point. Who knows? But I think decommitments aren't something Miami uh, – Sorry, Florida fans need to be fearing like maybe Miami or Oklahoma fans do at this point. No, I think the people who are committed to us are locked in with the exception of like a Tyree Patterson. Right. And there's been talk of Jakeem Jackson, who now that we didn't get Cormani all of a sudden becomes more important as we've got two cornerback commits with Dijon and him. So there's been talk of John Ruiz, you know, wanting to, to, you know, put his hat in the ring there and flip him. Well, now this is a war. I mean, look, they. They shot Archduke Franz Ferdinand when they took Cormani. Guess what? The USA got involved. By the when way, by the way, World War One new movie that came out. Oh my god! On Netflix, uh, it's called si- World War One. No, no, no. All silent on the Western Front. Isn't that a book? It is a book, and it was also a movie they made in 1930. It's good, but they just made a remake, and uh, I've seen clips. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but it is graphic. It is. What? Think like think uh, Saving Private Ryan. Wow, a lot worse. We we don't need to go into the no. logistics of the analogy, but we are Just at war on the trail yeah. with Miami. It, it is a territory war. Mike and Florida State could hop in it if they want, but right now it is all Florida versus Miami, and you I'm know, here it, for it. It's funny because FSU. I I do feel bad for their fans at this point in time a little bit because remember when we had Mullen and it was clear that you know the Florida Gators had the best head coach healthiest program in the state for a couple of years there, 2019, 2020. Florida State might go nine wins this season, beat Miami. They could even beat us, go nine and three. It's not going to matter on the trail. You know, maybe they keep Lucas Simmons, but point being, when you have your best season in a while and you're the best team in the state and you're really a distant third on the recruiting trail, it's got to be frustrating for a fan base because, again, we've been there before where it's good now, but you know this can only last so long. Like, that. Yeah, it's just unsustainable when you're not bringing in fresh new talent each year, especially at positions that matter. I mean, if you look at the positions that they've really been recruiting, mm-hmm. it's wide receiver, defensive line, offensive tackle, and the QB room. O-line, even the O-line, though. Those, are, those are four of the most important positions in football. Right. Especially for the style of football that Billy Napier wants to play. I will admit at first I was a little frustrated at one point this season. I mean, I voiced it on this podcast, but I think you're starting to see his vision come together a little bit. And he did tell us from the get-go, look, you guys are all going to get mad at me. It might be a little tough to start. We're going to cut people. We're not going to – we're going to have to flesh this roster out from the start. And I think you're starting to see what his vision is, whether or not it will be carried out and enacted because Jim McElwain had a vision for Florida. He never got to carry it out. So the jury's still out on whether it will be an effective vision and one that could bring us to championship aspirations. Yeah. But I like where his head's at. Well, I think it's one that Billy knows, like most good, co- like Kirby Smart does, and had talks about in a lot of press conferences. Like what you're seeing with Florida State, Mike Norvell plugging holes in the portal, leading to maybe a nine win season. That's not how you win national no, championships. You got to plug for guys that yeah. are going to play for two to three years, that, right? That's and and again, credit Kirby Smart. Out of all of our rivals right now, 
I got nothing bad to say about Georgia because they're doing it the they're right way. They're doing it so right. And I, did you watch that video of him after the Tennessee game? The speech, his speeches are just the best, man. He is such a good football coach. It really sucks that he's the coach of Georgia because he's so dang likable. I know, but yeah, it's, Kirby told us last year in the press conference, you know, you got to recruit. I mean, that was obviously not so subtle jabs at Dan Mullen. You got to right? recruit. I mean, you have to. I mean, and look, this class that we're building, we've said it ad nauseum at this point, 18 four stars. Those, yeah. those are 18 guys who can come in and contribute. This class might not finish top five. There's probably a better chance next year's class finishes top five. But again, like you just said, it's such a great found. It's going to be a great foundational class. And I guess we can get into this. I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, you talk about Billy, again, being, you know, such a plan guy, right? You know, I'm going to, yeah, it's going to take some time. You're going to be mad at me at first. I wonder what, like next season, do you think, it's, you know, try to go the Tennessee route. Because we're going to have a lot of transfers out, so there will be room for a lot of transfers in. We're going to, like we said last week on the podcast, at least 20 people. It may be more. I wonder if it's going to be a, you know, play the young guys a lot year. Maybe not, you know, you know say before the season, hey, we're probably not going to win 10, 11 games, but kind of like a year two, but a year one in a way next year. Or, you know, do we take, you know, the best portal QB we can find and, you know, try to win the East. I think you always try to win as many games as you can. You always try to win as many football games as you can. It'll be interesting to see exactly what the— I think Billy has shown us this year that he's not afraid to play the young guys, especially if they could contribute right away. Mm -hmm. I expect to see a lot of young guys play next year. A few names that come to mind. Uh, Number one, Eugene Wilson. I think he is going to play right away. I think Dijon Johnson is going to be lining up opposite Jason Marshall next year in the first game of the year. I see a lot of guys in this class who are going to come in and help us right away. Jordan Castell playing safety back in Mm -hmm. the secondary. I mean, I think he might be an upgrade over Rashad Torrance and some of the guys back there. Yep. So I think Billy has showed us this this year, especially with the meaningful reps that McClellan, Shamar James, Devin Moore before he got hurt. All these guys have been taking Trevor Etienne. So I think we're going to see a lot of new faces next year, but I definitely don't think you sh- I don't think that you should expect that we're not going to be active in the portal. I guess that was not a way of, be, of me phrasing that. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. I'm pretty stuffy right now. But I, I think we're going to be very active in the portal. I honestly wouldn't even be shocked if we took a quarterback because I think we might lose a guy in the room. We might lose a Jack Miller. We might lose a Kitna. We might lose an Anthony Richardson. So I wouldn't be shocked to see us take a QB in the portal. I definitely think we're going to take a few guys in the trenches in the portal. Mm. And I think if they could help our team on day one, and they have at least a year of remaining eligibility, you take a chance on them. Yeah. Why not? Because, like we said, there's going to be so many guys transferring, and we need all the help we're going to get. Depth is always going to be thin for the first couple of years in the Napier era. Mm-hmm. And I think you take as many guys as you can. And like we said last show, we had a whole conversation about this. There's so many guys on smaller schools that are excelling this year, playing better than even the five stars, even the highly ranked four stars on these big time schools. You go after them. Yeah. The the QB thing is interesting. I, you know, even with Rashada in the fold, you never want to count on a true freshman starting. No, and I, again, he's, and, you know, physically he needs he needs to put some weight on and that kind of thing. So I do think we go after a quarterback in the portal. Again, this is assuming Anthony leaves, but I would I would wager on a portal guy probably being our starter next year in that case. Where it becomes interesting, though, is I don't know if you want to go after, you know, considering that we're putting all of our chips in for Lagway. Rashad is now in the fold. Those are two guys who at 99% of programs in the country are – 
you know, this guy's going to be our starter for three years, right? I don't know if you want to go after the freshman who just transferred out of like Ohio State per se. No, right? I think you want to go after ideally a, a stopgap. Right. You, right. you want a name you said to me yesterday, which I, I really like that, even though I don't know if he'll fit this system, but I like the idea. Mm-hmm. Phil Yurkovich from a Boston college. Or right. Like Cause a, they've had a terrible, I mean, that yeah, team yeah, is off. He's shown, he's shown he can play good football or even a Hudson card from Texas or a, you, you go after someone who has experience, who could come in, and that's what he's bringing to the battle because we have experienced guys who are inexperienced guys who are talented. A good QB battle is someone who's been a multi-year starter, who's mm-hmm. proven their experience, and a young, hot-shot guy with all the talent in the world. That's a QB battle I want to see. Battle it out and see who's better for your football team. Right, yeah. And so we'll see who enters. It'll be really interesting. It'll be again. really interesting. I think the Grayson McCall name that a lot of people like to throw out, I would love it. I think it's a little unrealistic. I do. Just because yeah. I think he's shown enough to yeah. enter the NFL. I don't think he needs to go to a big program to get drafted. I, I, I think it was a possibility, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if Florida's going to play. I think that one's a little bit of a pipe dream. Because, right again, the NFL's shown that. Because when you look at some of the guys who might be available, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be receivers. There's going to be offensive linemen. There's going to be edge. There's going to be guys that you're going to want to put more money into. It just wouldn't make more sense investing all your chips in someone like Grayson McCall who would start for a year. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could bring in a guy like a Hudson card who could come in for multiple years. You won't have to pay him as much. Mm-hmm. And even if he doesn't start for you, that is a good backup. You could rely on for a couple years. Right. Yeah. I'm not even saying so much the money thing, just a guy like Mc- I think McCall, you know, the NFL shown now that, just because you go to a small school doesn't mean they're not going to find and it's you. Also, right? Josh Allen if we're talking about the NFL, first. it's not as good of a QB class as we once imagined. Right. So someone like not him. as good as a draft class in general for 2023 yeah. as we much imagined. Right. But, yeah, someone like him probably does a, end up entering. But, again, Phil Jerk of Boston College, that's just one name I thought of. Because they've had Man, we're gonna have no a, offensive line. We're going to have a lot of fun this offseason. That first that first offseason show, like, remember last year when we did that whole coaching carousel show? We should make a big board. Oh, we should, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of excitement and speaking of the offseason, we still have regular season football games we played. Three more games left on the Florida Gators schedule, mm-hmm. including our last home game and our last senior day. 18 seniors will be participating in the festivities. Florida versus South Carolina, 4 p.m. in the Swamp. Luckily, we dodged, we dodged the... Harsh effects of the hurricane, so the game is still on tomorrow. My last game as a student here at the University of Florida. Your last game as a student here at the University of Florida. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I was I was on a run last night running by Ben Hill Griffin. I was a little emotional. It's uh, you know what? I haven't really thought about it because this game hasn't been hyped up. It hasn't been talked about it. And even when I was working the radio this week, people weren't calling in about it. But it's really sad. And look, these past two years have been a little lackluster compared to our first two. But if you think about the, some of the memories we've had in the Swamp, man, we've had, especially you, because you were here for that first year at Mullen as well. Yeah. It, we've, I've had some great memories in the Swamp, and to think that this could be my last time sitting in the alumni, sitting in the student section as a student, mm-hmm. it, it, it's sad. I'm, I'm sad. When I come back here in 10 years, though, 15 years, I think I'll try to bring my kids in the student section. Yeah, you have to. I mean, look, uh, I like the alumni section better from the purposes of saying I could just sit down and watch a football game. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the student section's a lot, but when you're at a Gator football game, you're yelling, you're screaming, you're with all your buddies, you're drunk, you're you got it. it's part yeah. of the experience. Basketball, I prefer to sit in the alumni side in the mm-hmm. student section. Actually, speaking of drunk, fireball on third downs—that's the new thing. That is the new thing. Third we're, down fireball. Actually, what we were doing on third down last week, we said, "Look, the money down is a great tradition, but 
Money down was a Jeff Collins thing. Mm-hmm. What I think we should be doing on third downs to help create noise, and what me and all my friends have agreed with, is we should start gator chomping on third down. And when we started doing it last year, last week against AM, seven consecutive stops on third down. Yeah, I was at the And we had eyes time. in the we had eyes on the ground. We had Brett Sachs and Ryan Kushner at Kyle Field doing the gator chomp on third down. <laughs> and it was working. It was working. So you know what? To all you people who bitched, including me, who bitched about Patrick Tony all year and how we couldn't get off the field on third down. Mm-hmm. We had the worst third down percentage. Guess what? I just saved your ass. Yeah, that's interesting that you started doing something too, because me and Timmy did the same thing with fireball. Oh man, I couldn't even imagine the drunk. We got to get Timmy on here one day. He he would be. A it character. wasn't a full shot of fireball each time. Don't worry, yeah. that that would have been like nine. He'd probably be dead. But yeah, Timmy Timmy's a great time. Yeah, we should get him on here. Actually, you know, he's never asked, but he'd be a great guest. Um, but yeah, South Carolina. They're it's funny they. Are sitting at six and three, a little bit of a front loaded schedule, or sorry, back loaded schedule, right? Because they go Florida, Tennessee, Clemson to end the year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, they're having a good year. They're sitting at six and three. Yeah. Their Beamer ball is working, but I think there's an easy game plan for this one. Their passing attack all year has been down there. Mm-hmm. Where they've really been strong is Marshawn Lloyd on the ground running outside. I think you kind of got to stack the box a little bit for this one, bring some of the pressure yeah. you put on Haynes King last game, and I think it'll yield similar results. This isn't a game I'm really sweating too much. I think. I think we're seeing them at the right time of the season, and they're seeing us at the wrong time of the season. Because yeah. I think, look, I, we we didn't even recap that A&M game, but it was the most complete performance that we've seen from our team since the Utah game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll be able to replicate that, but I, I'd like to see us keep some of that momentum, come out firing on defense. I'd like to see guys like Princely get involved, get pressure on defense. And, and I think Florida handily wins this one. I'm not too worried. Yeah, no, you started even in the Georgia game, um, and then it kind of carried over into the second half of the A&M game. Trusting our talent on defense, right? And I think you'll see some more of that this week. Again, a little bit of a one-dimensional South Carolina attack. Man, what happened to Spencer Rattler? It, I don't know. I, I don't think that was the right place for him it to It just wasn't the right place for him to go. I understood why he go, went there because of his relationship with Beamer. But, mm-hmm. man, having receivers is just so important. And yeah, have, but know. I mean, playing in a quarterback-friendly system, that too. too. And they just have no receivers. Look, I can't say I've been following South Carolina that closely. I know they do have a good defensive line, mm-hmm. and I know their rushing attack's really good. I think the game plan should be very similar to how it was last week. Kind of shore up the outside a little bit, put more men on the boundary, mm-hmm. and get pressure on Rattler. And I think you're going to see positive things. I think Anthony, look, I know he struggled in the swamp all year, but... One last game, I kind of hope he get, puts lightning in a bottle, especially considering this could be his last game in the swamp, which is absurd to think about. It's Dan Roberts. If this is his last game, it'll always be one of those what-if careers of what he could have done. Yeah, yeah, the one that got away, right? I mean, if you think about it, look, obviously he wasn't starting that last year at Trask, but last year, if you put him in, we wouldn't have beat Alabama, but... Man, we probably would have won that South Carolina game. We probably would have won that Mizzou game. We probably would have won. Yeah, no, but last year. Well, South Carolina, he re-injured his knee. That was the issue. He was going to start the South Carolina game. I'd say Mullen last year not starting Anthony was simultaneously one of the worst things a coach here has ever done and the best thing that ever could happen to our program. Yeah. 
Because we were nine and three last year, Dan. Like, still look, here. we and it's the same. The old. way we've been describing Dan all year, and you made that comparison first, and I thought it was brilliant. He's like that girlfriend that you had a super toxic relationship with, and you look at her, and she looks great. Sometimes you miss her, but you also think about all the horrible times you had together, and how terrible it would have been if you guys stayed together. Right. Yeah. yeah Certain flaws are just too much to overcome with a person. Right? And that's our yeah. Seth Harp analogy of the yeah. day. But. Let's get some score predictions. I don't know how much we could really talk about this one for Florida, but yeah, again, Vanderbilt th- ran through them, you know, like shit through a tin horn on the ground last week. Um, and so all all year, South Carolina's run D, despite having a pretty good D line, has been a little on the shaky side. So again, you talk game plan. I think last week we finally saw the game plan be give two and seven 40 carries, and it worked, right? Yeah, definitely. And no reason to look, change that. What there's a stat that Florida has ran over 211 yards in all of their wins this year. I think Josh Pate put it out there. The number might be wrong, but I think we rush for that number again on Saturday. The spread seven and a half. I think we cover. If I'm making a game prediction, I'm going to go 38 to 17 Gators. We make a statement, especially after last year's embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I go 31 21. That's fair. We're never a team that starts off strong. No, I, I, I think, think I think kind of maybe similar to the Missouri game, one that they're kind of hanging around, but at the end, we're too much. Our O line, yeah. and we get it. We get a couple turnovers in the second half. I think. Yeah, I think we'll get a couple turnovers. It's all really going to be contingent on the pressure we get on Spencer Rattler. This would be a big win for Billy Napier. Of course, our next two, we will be at Vanderbilt next week. Are you coming to Nashville? No. Me and Big Will will be on the streets of Broadway during that game. Big Will actually might be at the game. I'm not going to the game. And then we will be at Tallahassee. <sighs> that's oh, a big game this year. I'm excited. That's It's the biggest FSU game we've had in years, and I can't wait to talk about that one. How are we going to podcast that week? Um, we can do Zoom. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Like Wednesday we'll, or something? We'll figure something out. But, yeah. yeah we Predicted the Florida game. Another huge week of college football. Before we get into some more game predictions, there is a topic of discussion that I kind of want to bring up to you. Mm-hmm. A lot preseason, a lot of people were picking Anthony Richardson as a dark horse Heisman candidate. Yeah, obviously it didn't work out that way. But right now it looks like everyone's Ooh, a dark horse. Heisman. You want to talk Heisman? I want to talk. I kind of hadn't thought about it until this week when I was just in the shower one day and I'm like, "Who the hell's going to win the Heisman?" This is a cr- because it went from. Well, I guess it kind of became a crazy all-over-the-place race this week, right? Because Hendon Hooker, in my mind, even with a close lo- even if they lost to Georgia, if it were close and he had still had a good game, I think Hendon Hooker is still your Heisman favorite. I agree. But, but the yeah. way that they lost that game, how can you give how can you give a quarterback the Heisman when in their Heisman moment game, right? That was it. They and lay an egg completely. That's you a fantastic can't. point. It's your most so, important game of the season, and there's an argument to be made that Hendon Hooker lost Tennessee that game. I, I understand it was cold and rainy, but in all kinds of weather, we all stick together. So, Right. The real, I mean, the real, I mean, right now, technically the favorite, and it would be the most boring Heisman winner ever is C.J. Stroud because the Big Ten is so damn top-heavy this season, right, where... It, it kind of feels like Ohio State and Michigan have had a cupcake every week. CJ Shroud's kind of been working in silence. No one's really watching Ohio State games. And he has season. the easiest job in the country, but right. I feel like yeah, it's kind of similar too, to how Bryce too. Young won last year. I mean, he just won the games he was supposed to. None by a dramatic fashion until, obviously, yeah. that drive against Auburn. Right, right, the Auburn, yeah, that was his Heisman moment. So I guess if Stroud, you know, they're they're 
it's close against Michigan and he has some crazy game against Michigan, a crazy drive, then I guess that's your Heisman moment. You There's win, just, but it kind of feels like the Heisman. In my mind, I think it could be more of an MVP this season because there's many quarterbacks carrying their teams and are a lot of fun to watch. In terms of value, but there's a few names that I kind of want to shout out to you who kind of are on the outside looking in but have a fighting chance. Number one is a guy I bet on at plus 1,000 odds way back when in the beginning of October. I took Blake Corum. He currently has 17 total touchdowns. He is on pace to finish with over 2,000 all-purpose yards this season. If Michigan beats Ohio State in the game and Michigan makes the college football playoff, there's an argument to be made that Corum is the most valuable player on potentially the best team in the country. So, yeah, Michigan, Ohio State this year. It's, really, it could be. It could it, end up if it, he goes for 200 game. yards like he did last year. I, I hate when people overhype that rivalry, but it's going to be a good game this year, and it, there's going to be a lot of animosity, especially after last year's game in Ann Arbor. Another name I want to throw out to you, which I'd be remiss if we didn't say it, Bo Nix. The MVP thing, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's, I mean, Bo Nix is playing great football in Kenny Dillingham's offense there at Oregon. Who, by uh, the way, I think... Should, if he's not a front runner for the Arizona State job, maybe should be. Oh, yeah. Kenny Dillingham has done a great job. I mean, if you look at Bo Nix's career, the best two years of his career were his freshman year and his senior year right now at Oregon. What's the one common denominator there? Kenny Dillingham was his offensive coordinator at both mm-hmm. stops. And even if you look at Kenny Dillingham when he was at Florida State, Jordan Travis has never necessarily been the problem there. No. Mike Norvell coaching tree, baby. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Dillingham has done a great job. I think he would do a great job at Arizona State. I'd probably give Dillingham the Broyles award. This year for what he's doing with Nick, yeah. yeah, and then I mean, just a tangent, I guess, but a rip, a possible ripple effect, honestly, is you know Dante Moore. He's, I think, by at least one website, the number one overall player in the country at quarterback. There, if Dillingham leaves and takes that Arizona State job, which again they may offer him, there's a good chance you see Dante Moore leave, which could lead yeah. to. I've, I've heard of some places trying to poach Dante There's Moore. been a Michigan State. Michigan, I've, I've that saw, would be career I've suicide. You, was you, no, yeah. I, that would be bad. But they've got a five-star receiver, which is kind of why I mentioned it. They've got they've got more. And then Jurion Dickey, who, if you've watched his tape, is unbelievable. He's from hey, the Bay Area. Dickey? He's from the Bay. He's a five-star receiver. I, he's committed there. I think a big part of it is Dante Moore being there. But, again, if you were to see this whole ripple effect happen, I think playing with Rashada could I think we could be a potential landing spot. Look, I'll never say no to another yeah. receiver, especially seeing how our receiver room played this week. Yeah. Speaking of, I give that 5% chance. But, there's but anyway. A, a few more. Yeah. Na- I mean, look, this is one of the closer races we've seen in a while, even though last year's race was pretty close as well. But mm-hmm. I feel like someone's going to come up big with a big moment. Another name I want to shout out to you is Drake May, a guy many people are starting to compare to Justin Herbert. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, uh, I'd group Drake May and Caleb Williams together. Because yeah. they're both playing... Maybe the best quarterback football in the country right now. Carrying it, awful defenses. Statistically, too. Caleb's probably having the best season of them all. And uh, he passes the eye test. Yeah, Caleb's doing unbelievable stuff every He's unreal. Week. I mean, if yeah. they beat UCLA and win the Pac-12, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Caleb should win the Heisman. Right, yeah. May. I mean, North Carolina, they lost one game. So they could, if they win out, I doubt they will. They might lose to Wake Forest this week, but... Again, them, USC, Oregon, if all these teams finish with one loss, maybe one of them backdoors their way into the playoff, and then whichever quarterback yeah, that, that is. That's another thing. The playoff is wide open. I, I guess we got to talk about the playoff. Max too. Duggan, one more name, too, if they go undefeated. There's one team that's currently locked up a spot in the college football playoff. Yeah. yeah. Georgia. Bulldogs. Yeah. Which, last week during the Tennessee game, it was so nice to see Tennessee get exposed, but it also sucked watching Georgia. <laughs> it was The way I described it was, 
it was like I wanted neither team to win. I just wanted the game to get called off. And there to be like a threat on the stadium or something. Game get called off. Nobody wins. Or like a game where both of them play terrible. They both knock each other off out of the playoff. Mm-hmm. But the playoff might get batshit crazy. It could get absurd. Because right now, TCU's at four. I don't think anyone really thinks they're going to stay there. It feels like they lose to Texas Saturday. I have, this is the spot. I in Edmonds, I took Texas seven and a half. I, I believe Texas will win that game. I I just think they get them. I don't think Texas is a team that you can come back from a slow start. I, right. I just don't. I mean, you saw it with Kansas State last week. It was too much to come mm. back from. And Sorry about that. But realistically, there's a couple big players who kind of fuck everything up here. Number one is this guy that we've been shitting on since last December who's actually done a pretty good job with his fake country accent. Brian Kelly has done a magnificent job at LSU. Dude, he went on his date with his supermodel and he brought her home. <laughs> as much as it he had a great me, night. As much as it pains me to say it, he has done a fantastic job this season. And they're one of the big players because if they beat Georgia and win the SEC, do you put them in the playoff? Well, here's the kind of the the problem uh, again, I I think Bama was a good matchup for LSU. We all saw that. I'd put the chances that LSU beats Georgia like astronomically low. I just don't think on the line of scrimmage right now, again, LSU, like Harrison talked about last week, two true freshman tackles. I think the chances they could actually pull that off are so low. Yeah. But if they do. I agree with you. And I just see Georgia coming in a lot more prepared. But if they do, like you said. If they do, you'd have Georgia, who's sitting at 12-1 and with obviously a win over the East, win over Tennessee. I think Georgia, you'd have to still slot them in. LSU would have, what, eight wins in a row, SEC champs. They'd have to be in. But then also Tennessee would be sitting there 11-1 and one with a 40-13 to 13 head-to-head win at Death Valley over LSU. Yeah. There'd be, have to be some sort of yeah, argument exactly. for them. That's the thing about Tennessee is for as bad as they looked on Saturday, they still have far and away the best resume in the country. Yeah. It, it's absurd. I mean, look. Look at the teams they beat. Mm-hmm. So... It's going to become really complicated. I do foresee Tennessee still sneaking their way in there, which I believe they'd get curb stomped by either Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah. I think they're both better. I don't mm, – it depends. I, I foresee Michigan beating them in a similar fashion to how Georgia beat them, and I think Ohio State would beat them in a shootout. Yeah. I know. I agree with you. I think the ACC has kind of played itself out of consideration, right? I mean, Clemson, Yeah, that, that, I, I, that, that was a bad loss. I think The we, way they lost. We acknowledge that we kind of saw that one coming last week on Won't Back Down. I just think college football progressed so quickly. Mm-hmm. Dabo was just sitting there in his facility with his feet kicked up on his desk saying, we're a little old Clemson. We're recruiting at a high level. We're going to still come out. But I just think the sport progressed so quickly around him, but he can't keep up. He hasn't weathered the storm, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's still one loss. They'll probably still win the ACC, even though North Carolina has a realistic shot to beat them in the ACC championship. Yeah, I hope... Th- yeah, I, just because the ACC, no, none of those teams have good wins. So I feel like if a one-loss team is going to get left out, it would be them. You know, whichever uh, climbs in North Carolina. I agree. Whoever. Honestly, I would put an Oregon over them. Right. Well, that's the other thing. If there's no undefeated Pac-12 teams, but there's three one-loss teams. So if any of those comes out with one, it runs the table from here out, one loss, again, depend, um, say, you know, in all likelihood, what's going to happen is that Georgia crushes LSU. So... Georgia one, winner of Ohio State, Michigan two, undefeated. Those are your top two seeds right off. One hundred percent. 
if the Pac-12, well, if TCU runs the table, which again, TCU I, gets three. I, I see a very low possibility of that happening, though. I agree. But again, a one-loss TCU, a one-loss Tennessee, and a one-loss USC. Who do you put in? Right, one of those is going to have to get left out. The thing is, what do you do they value? value what do you value champion? more, conference yeah. championships or resume? That's, right. Tennessee gets left out if they value conference championships, which would, they have shown I would themselves. Say you have to. to value conference championships, especially considering I think the Pac-12 has been pretty good this year, all things considered. Yeah, I mean Oregon, optically, Oregon losing forty-nine to three to Georgia—that big of a margin is bad optically. Yeah, that game, and you can't treat it like that was a preseason game. No, you just can't. It happened. That was a real football game in real time. It happened. It it was a little better on the field than the score would indicate. Again, forty nine to three is never good, but it wasn't a complete and utter domination every play. You know, they, they were able to drive the ball down the field on multiple occasions. Didn't score obviously, but I think you know that is the absolute worst case scenario you can have in your non conference game. But twelve wins in a row would be hard to ignore. It, it certainly yeah. would. And 12 wins in a row would be hard to ignore, especially considering the fashion they're doing it. They haven't been winning close calls. They've been blowing teams yeah, out. They have. It's cons- blowing good teams out. And they have a real tough test this weekend against Washington. The spread is 12 and a half. And I understand it's an Austin. I do not like Oregon 12 and a half in this game. Washington is a good football team. Yeah. No, Kalen DeBoer is kind of like Sonny Dykes. is going to done a great job there taking over a team that had talent on the roster implementing the spread offense, and it, that's the kind of thing, kind of like Dan Mullen did here it, it with Max players. It so works right away. It's, this whole playoff scenario, it's going to be something that I'm really excited to watch play out over the next couple of weeks. We have a few games this week that could be pretty big in determining seeding, specifically that TCU-Texas game. Mm-hmm. But if we want to talk about a team that's officially out of the picture, the Alabama Crimson Tide, a lot of people oh, now, yeah. A lot of people have been coming in with takes on this this week, and I kind of wanted to speak my mind on this a little bit. I'll, I'll let you speak your mind on this as well. Mm-hmm. People are declaring the Alabama dynasty dead. To everyone out there declaring that, I just want to warn you that when they win the national championship next year or two years from now, you better apologize. Mm-hmm. You better admit how much of an idiot you are for writing out Nick Saban, one of the greatest coaches of all time, in my opinion, the greatest coach of all time. A coach who has shown more than any other coach in college football his willingness to adjust, his willingness to pivot, his willingness to make staff changes, his willingness to change the way he's recruiting. And you really think the program's dead? Have you looked at the recruiting rankings? Do you know who the number one team on the 247 composite is right now? The Alabama Crimson Tide. And it's not. And even people are close. saying they don't have a good QB behind... Bryce Young, that Jalen Milrow's not the guy and they don't know about Ty Simpson yet. Well, guess what? They're getting two top 10 quarterbacks this year, including a guy in Eli Holston who's pretty good, someone that Florida was once Mm -hmm. going after. They have the number one recruiting class. They will probably get the number one transfer portal class this year. They will probably fire both Pete Golding and Bill O'Brien. And guess what? They'll probably bring in Dan Mullen as offensive coordinator if I had to venture, or a Kenny Dillingham type. They'll bring in someone who is going to make you, all of you out there, you, Greg McElroy, I'm looking at you in particular, eat your words. Because I don't know. It's funny that their biggest hater is Greg McElroy. I don't know how you could play under Nick Saban, see how he operates, see how innovative he is, see how open he is, see how willing to learn from his mistakes he is, and say that the dynasty's dead. Why would you do that? Why would you give them more rat poison? Saban always talks about the rat poison. Why would you give them more fodder? Yeah, I mean, I can see both sides. I think I just 
kind of like vibe wise, it, it, I think it feels a little different than it has. I think I mean I said it a couple weeks ago. I they feel more like a mortal program. They they've got the same issues definitely because it's not. My issue is it's not that you know they had a couple bad years talent wise. I mean. That 2020 roster is always going to be hard to come back from because that was an all-time team. One of the greatest rosters ever. But the penalties, the mistakes, it, it doesn't look exactly like... Well, they, they look unpoised. That, yeah. that is the one thing I will concede, but what I'm banging on here is Saban making a change. Yeah. Because he's shown us so many times that he's been willing to make a change, even if it's one that he's not comfortable with. Right. So, no, <laughs> these are two of the weaker coordinators they've ever had. But I will say, yes, this Alabama team is not as good as the ones we've seen in years past. I know I declared them my champion before the season started. I said they might even be one of the greatest teams of all time. We all did because on, on paper, paper they was. should be. Yeah. But as we've seen in the past, you could recruit high star guys. Look, the Florida class of 2020 was the seventh ranked class in 247. There, there's about to be a mass exodus of that entire class. So. Right. I mean, are they not hitting on their evaluations as they, much? Exactly. They so, used to bring in receivers and, you know, they, they would have three. NFL studs at receiver at any given really time. They don't have that change. right now. And a point you said they look more mortal. I, I think I mentioned this on the show. A lot of the guys who helped build Alabama into what it is mm-hmm. are now elsewhere, are now replicating the same formula at a different school with just as much funding. I mean, you look at Kirby in Georgia. Look at Napier of Florida. Look at Lane at Ole Miss. I mean, these are guys who are winning recruiting battles over him because they know how he recruits. They know how his mind works. They know the players he wants. And these are even look at Loxley. He's put a fence around the DMV. Yeah. Tuck might flip Dante Moore. These are all <laughs> guys who helped build Alabama into what it was. Right. And now you've got Pete Golding, who looks like he should be on widespread panics tour and Bill O'Brien, who's ruining. I've been saying he's been ruining Alabama football for a year now. So it kind of, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be hard to keep up when you had, you had a staff, and I think it was 2015, that had Lane Kiffin, Billy Napier, Don, uh, Mel Tucker, Kirby Smart, and Mario Cristobal as position coaches, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I get, you know, recruiting the top talent's one thing, but when recruiting and development was far and away better at Alabama than it was anywhere else, that was the product. I just think and now this is the they're going to make... And Georgia is now what... 2011 through 2013 Bama was. 100%. You remember those Bama teams? Yeah. When it was, we are going to just squeeze your neck until you just suffocate and die. That is what Georgia is now. Yeah, definitely. They're like an anaconda. Right. But I think you're going to see some crazy hires for Saban. He better. Uh, he better. I mean, he better. Look, I think someone's going to be foolish enough to take a chance on O'Brien for some reason. If not, I think they'll part ways. Hey, some guys are better as head coaches than they are as coordinators. Look, people weren't thrilled with Sark as offensive coordinator at Alabama, and Texas still took a chance on him. So, yeah, some guys are better as head coaches. Yeah, Billy Napier would better head coach than offensive coordinator. I mean, uh, it is what it, it is. It happens. The O line, they got you know, they're fixing it through recruiting. The O line is very subpar for what it usually is at Bama. The receiver room, I think, was just so great for a couple of years that it was always kind of going to have to decline. You can't have Waddle, Judy. Yeah, um, you can't have all those guys. Smith there all the time, right? I mean, Jalen Waddle's already a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Devonta Smith's been having a good year. Judy's playing well in that shit show that is Denver. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the – and Ruggs is, I'm sure, playing well in the junkyard. But (laughs) 
jail yard. My bad. Yeah. But Adam Sandler quarterback. Yeah, the longest yard. But yeah, that's our that's our piece on Alabama. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It'll be interesting to see if Cadillac can fire the boys up to Yeah, they play A&M. Try and play inspired. Oh, and then they play I mean I that'll, that'll, that'll be a fun iron ball. That'll, that'll be yeah. a fun one. Speaking of Cadillac, that was my lock of the week last week. Auburn plus 12 and a half. It yeah, look at cash. that. Let's give our locks of the week. You know what? I actually didn't prepare one this week. I actually do have one. Probably the best group of five game of the season. Huge for New Year's Six Bowl implications. I'm taking Tulane at home versus UCF minus one and a half any day of the week. Willie Fritz has done a great job there. I've watched both teams this year. I just think Tulane has a way more dynamic offense than UCF does. I'm going to take Tulane one and a half. Willie Fritz. A little trivia. If you didn't know this, he was the coach of Georgia Southern. When they beat us, when in they the, beat us, when they beat us in 2013, Willie Fritz was the coach there. Look at that. Who do I like? That's my lock of the you're week. Going, wait, you're you're on Tulane outright. Tulane one and a half. Okay. Hmm. Man, I'm sorry I didn't prepare. I had a really good week a couple weeks ago, and then last week, I forget who. We don't have to pick every was. game. We can just do lock of the week in a couple of the big games. Yeah. No, but. Um, Trying to think, did we miss any big games? Well, um, this is not such a big game, but an interesting storyline is that Florida State is on the road at Syracuse, 8 o'clock, looking to move to 7-3 and three as the Syracuse. Syracuse looking like they will be starting Carlos Del Rio Wilson, that quarterback. He looked terrible last week. I watched that <laughs> game with Pitt. He looked awful. Yeah. Yeah. Not one, uh, not one that we're going to say is the one who got away, right? Um, no. I don't know how long we we were just not recording. Huh? Yeah, we are. Oh, I don't know. I might have deleted some of the episode by accident. <laughs> Technical difficulties. All right, um, my, my lock of the week was Tulane one and a half if that didn't get recorded. Okay. And then I'll go Georgia minus 16 over Mississippi State. I like that. That Mississippi State offense, <laughs> we saw what that kind of attack, what happens when they play a Georgia on defense. And look, Mike Leach, I think they got off to a good start this season, but that fan base is already starting to turn. It is. You it's can't not turn. sustainable. You got to understand who you are. You, you just got to understand who you are and where you are. Mike Leach is good for that program. I don't know. That offense is just, you have such a ceiling in the SEC yeah. playing that style. But then at the, again, at the same time, you have a ceiling because you're Mississippi yeah, If you State. play like a cover four, it's it's so much easier with the yeah. defensive backs that these top teams have. Either. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. What, any other points we want to hit on here? We hit on a lot. I we mean, actually did just talk about a lot. We were not anticipating recording that long. Well, look. I mean, I think our program is very healthy right now. Yeah, I think program our program is, is very healthy. very healthy. And we might have deleted a whole part of our conversation by accident. Let me give you a TLDR of the episode in case we did. We started off, we talked about Rashada. Big Will called in. He was kind of talking about his Germany experience. I don't think you really deleted anything at all. I don't know. Because, I mean, if you did, it was like a minute. Like, like me and Lehman said, we're, we're just going to be a couple of lawyers. We, we don't really know this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, fins up. Play the Browns Sunday. Colorado, USC tonight. I'm actually, not going to give you guys a whole, actually, ladies and gentlemen, the Miami Do- You know what? Actually, I will. Ladies and gentlemen. This Miami Dolphin season is the most fun and exciting season of football 
I have ever watched in my life. Let's get one thing out of the way. Justin Fields, he is an elite quarterback. In the Miami Dolphins defense, it was the first time Bradley Chubb played on the Miami Dolphins defense. I expect a much bigger response against the Cleveland Browns and Nick Chubb, his cousin, this week. The Dolphins are playing the Browns. Then they have the bye week ahead of the toughest stretch of their schedule. They can go in 7-3 and three to the bye week with an AFC East, AFC East lead if the Buffalo Bills lose this week with Josh Allen potentially dealing being out two to four weeks with a UCL injury in his elbow. The Miami Dolphins, Tua Tagovailoa is my MVP. Me, Big Will Levinson, the proclaimed biggest Miami Dolphins fan of all time. Tua Tagovailoa is my MVP. And Chris Greer, oh, Chris Greer. You are a magnificent fellow. <laughs> that was good, Sam. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll change my lock of the week. I'll add a bonus one. USC minus 34 tonight, Colorado. Oh, nice. I like Fade that Colorado all season. It's That'll probably be on a Palomino, so I'll probably bet that. Yeah, uh, yeah that's all I got. Caleb for Heisman. Um, in my Sam version of the Dolphins breakdown, I think we should beat the Browns, but... I would probably hammer the Nick Chubb rushing over. The Dolphins defense is horrible. It's not good. No, it's yeah. horrible. The offense is dynamic. McDaniel's one of the better offensive play callers I think I've ever seen. But they're like the Gators. It's it's, it, you can't it's be good honestly on both sides of the ball at the same time, right? They look eerily similar to the 2020 Florida Gators, but a little more poised. Offensive lines been playing well. So yeah, fins up. Go Gators. Last one, best one. Let's Sad. go. See you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Won't Back Down podcast with Will Levinson, Sam Patosa, and Jake Lehman, a part of the Pigskin Podcast Network.